Well, a very good Friday afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Friday Live on this February 26th, the last Friday in February. I am Jim. And this is Cheryl. And it's almost the last day of February. Yeah, where did it go? Which means spring around the corner. It it felt like a little bit this, uh, this week, a little bit of touch of spring in the air. I actually saw and heard some robins, so they're coming up early. Maybe they know something we don't know. You know, I saw a few little flowers sprouting through. Of course, there's piles of snow, but where it has melted and receded, the dirt is there. And I see a few little sprouts coming up. Hmm. So we'll see what happens. Before you know it. Wonderful. We are happy you are here. And uh, today we have a lovely program lined up for you. We're going to be joined a little uh, later on this hour by Anne M. Garrido. And I believe that's how you pronounce her name. She has written a book called Hashtag Rules of Engagement. And it's about how to behave online as a good Catholic. Hmm. Um, and we know many couples that have met online. Yes, yes. But this isn't just about dating. It's just about anything. Hmm. It's about just what are you on Facebook. Oh, or... I see. It. It's not engagement in terms of. No, 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 no. It's oh, about here I'm thinking of couples. In... No, okay. well, that's part of it. I guess you can, if okay. you're nice enough, you'll find somebody. If you're looking, but uh, just as far as just how to behave online, you know, there's a lot of nastiness out there. A lot yes. of uh, right. So yeah. Anne's going to share that with us. Uh, we're going to play "Name That Catholic Tune" this hour, so you can win a fabulous prize. Jim is here with the weather, and next hour, our good friend Father Jim Grogan, who is a pastor of Nativity of Our Lord in Fairhaven, will uh, be giving our reflection for the Gospel of this for the second week in Lent. Second Sunday in Lent. Mm-hmm. And then uh, next hour, Deacon Ed Schoner is going to talk about a brand new book called When a Loved One Dies by Suicide. And not a not a topic you'd like to talk about, but uh, you hear the statistics, especially over the past year during the pandemic, where right. rates of suicide have gone up. Right. So we need to address it and realize that it's um, it's out there and it's very real and is touching too many people these days. So Deacon Ed will be with us next hour. We have music, talk. As I said, Jim's here with the weather, uh, all kinds of stuff. So we hope you can stay with us for the next couple of hours on this uh, program. And uh, first, we're going to pray uh, our prayer to uh, of consecration to the Holy Family of Nazareth. Uh, we've been praying this since the beginning of the year, and I was told by our staff of volunteers who were here today fulfilling requests for these that were out of them. Oh, boy. But we are told there's a supply of a couple of thousand coming in, just waiting to hear back from our friend Pete and Arlene. Okay, so if you're listening, come. we need to connect. Yeah, yeah. So because there are orders awaiting, we uh, sent out our you, your Knights of Columbus Council provided the first stack, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. probably about three hundred, maybe. I would say a good few hundred. Well, they're all gone, there. so that's yeah. good news. Good. Uh, so we'll pray this prayer now, my friends, and as always, we invite you to pray along with us and remembering all of your special intentions, uh, especially as we consecrate our families to the Holy Family of Nazareth. So let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord Jesus, you lived in the home of Mary and Joseph in Nazareth. There you grew in age, wisdom, and grace as you prepared to fulfill your mission as our Redeemer. We entrust our family to you. O Blessed Mary, you are the mother of our Savior. At Nazareth, you cared for Jesus and nurtured him in the peace and joy of your home. We entrust our family to you. 
O St. Joseph, you provided a secure and loving home for Jesus and Mary and gave us a model of fatherhood while showing us the dignity of work. We We entrust entrust our our family family to you. you. Holy Family, we consecrate ourselves and our family to you. May we be completely united in a love that is lasting, faithful, and open to the gift of new life. Help us to grow in virtue, to forgive one another from our hearts, and to live in peace all our days. Keep us strong in faith, persevering in prayer, diligent in our work, and generous toward those in need. May our home, O Holy Family, truly become a domestic church where we reflect your example in our daily life. Amen. Amen. Jesus, Jesus, Mary, Mary, and and Joseph, Joseph, pray pray for for us. us. And we'll pray our uh, prayers to St. Michael and also the prayer to Our Lady uh, to pray as Holy Father asked us every day. Pray these prayers, he said, every single day to protect the church from the attacks of the devil. And we've added to that to protect our country from the attacks of the devil and also to protect our families from the attacks of the devil. And so we pray, St. Michael the Archangel, defend defend us in battle. battle. Be Be our our protection protection against against the wickedness and snares of the devil. devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We fly to thy protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Amen. And we do pray, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Pray Pray for for us, us. Venerable Archbishop Sheen. Pray Pray for for us, St. Pope John Paul II. Pray Pray for us, Our Lady of Good Remedy. Pray Pray for for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And again, as we pray, friends, uh, don't forget this coming Monday is March 1st already, first Monday in March. And that means our good friend uh, Bruce DeBacco will be here uh, at 3 o'clock live and will throw open the Domestic Church Media Prayer Tent and invite you to participate by calling in or texting in, emailing in your special prayer requests so Bruce can pray with you and for your intentions. And not just Bruce, but as we say when we do the program, you know, because of all the technology that we use now, we're not just limited to our four radio stations here in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, but with all the technology, we literally go around the world. And so we have a wonderful prayer uh, team praying with you and for you uh, around the world uh, during that time. So 3 o'clock live on Monday coming up, March 1st, and Bruce will be here. I know he looks forward to doing that. That's the first and third Monday. Yes. Seems like it's been a little while, but we were away one we week. We didn't do February because the first Monday in February was a snowstorm. Snow. Mm. And then we were away the third right. Monday. So so a lot of prayers. We need to catch up. Yes. So be sure to mark your calendar mm-hmm. Monday at 3 o'clock. That's right. So uh, And Wednesday St. Catherine Drexel. Oh, is that the mm-hmm. third? March 3rd? I can remember her canonization. Not sure. that we went. But I, I had a friend that went. I've got a beautiful scarf that she brought back from Rome. Oh, was the canonization in Rome? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And now they, uh, they've they moved her. She was in the was beautiful uh, grounds there in Ben Salem over here in Pennsylvania. Right. It was the mother house. Of the, the mother house, right. And she was entombed there. But when the di- archdiocese had to sell that property... Because I said an expansive property. Oh, huge, property. huge campus. And the um, 
the sisters, the number of sisters living there dwindled, mm-hmm. and sure. then they really needed more of a, a care facility as they got into their elder years, and they really weren't set up for there. But remember their chapel, how mm, gorgeous, and the beautiful. crypt? Yeah. We used to go and pray at we that did. In fact, we were there one time with our children, and they were little, mm-hmm. and we were at the tomb, and I guess we had gone around the corner or something, and I forget which one of our children, but they came back and said there was a, somebody talking to them. And there was nobody there. Remember, yeah. there was no. We went back, and there was nobody there. But right. they said, "Oh, the angels among us." Right? Somebody was talking to them and just being very nice and just chatting with them. Anyway, they've moved. Uh, the body now is over at the Cathedral of Saints Peter and Paul in Philadelphia. There's a special shrine set up there. As soon as you walk in the front door of the cathedral, it's to your left, and there's a whole there. You know, there's a few pews and a beautiful mm-hmm. statue and a, a large placard. You know, with a story right. and. So, oh, and the, you know, and we're very blessed in this area because we have St. Catherine Drexel. We have St. John Newman, who's also entombed at his shrine there in Fifth and Gerard. Mm-hmm. And was there a third one that I'm not thinking of? Well, what is the one, the, the sisters? Oh, um, no, Immaculate Conception Shrine? No. What's well, the one we had the woman on the program? But no, not that there's someone in Was there another saint in town? I'm trying to think. I know those two. Am I missing? Am I forgetting about <laughs> Somebody, we will ponder. God forbid. Uh, but at least those two Philadelphia area saints. Uh, yeah. Saint I think Catherine more so Drexel. than you, you've expanded out to a lot of people in the summer just take day trips. And there's so many shrines that you can visit in the Philadelphia area. Right, right, right. Um, but it's and, and easy to get to. Mm-hmm. Of course, the, in fact, if you go to now, now it used to be you know, she, the St. Catherine Drexel was in Ben Salem. Right. Now that she's at the cathedral, and they're not that far apart. Oh, that's the right. The cathedral in St. Yeah. John Newman on 5th and Gerard. Oh, yeah, just a couple miles. Yeah. I know. It was the um, the Shrine of the Miraculous Metal. Okay. That's what I was thinking of. All right. So I knew there was something that was missing. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to take a little break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be joined by Anne Garrido. And she has written a book called uh, it's Hashtag Rules of Engagement on ways that we, as Catholics and Christians, should be behaving when we're online. Uh, there's a lot of nastiness out there. People can be very mean and very cruel. And uh, mm-hmm. how do we, you know, set the tone when we're when we're engaging online? Right. So I always thought, well, the, the one basic rule of thumb, and I'm sure she'll enlighten us with many others, but you wouldn't put anything online. You wouldn't put anything in writing that you wouldn't physically say to that person, were they standing in front of you? Right. Right. And that's where, you know, when you don't see them, you, you put on some sort of as a safety zone. Bravery just like being, and brassiness. Just like being in your car and being aggressive. You feel safer in your car because right. your doors are locked and your windows yeah, are open. Right, right. But, uh, all right, so stay with us. We'll be back in just a bit. Don't go away.
We are back, and this is Jim and Cheryl, but we are back. Well, the book is called Hashtag Rules of Engagement. Maybe she's online. Yeah, that she's busy online. And call us, please. Um, and it's sounds Ave, interesting. Ave Maria Press. We eight, can... eight Habits for Being Good and Doing Good Online. And the eight eight habits. So I'll go over them with you. Let's do I this. I haven't completely read the book, but what the heck. We'll do it That's ourselves. Right. And... Um, I think they're pretty well common sense, but to like capsulize the information and just review and 
um, make sure we're all on the same page here. And I'm sure we've all had experiences where we got into a little bit of a, you know, confrontation online because sometimes you can't put into words what you're really thinking and especially what you're feeling or what your facial expression might express. Okay, so let's so, go over these. Then we'll go oh, over them ourselves. The, huh? Is that her? Yeah, probably. You want to go into that? Sure. Put her on hold for a second. Mm -hmm. We'll. We'll get her on the line here and go over this with her. I don't know what, uh, you know, we're by ourselves here. See, we don't have like a big staff of producers that take care of all this business for us. We have to do it all by ourselves at the same time. So, <laughs> so it's called Catholic Radio Multitasking. Uh, but I do believe that she's on the line here. So let me see if I can get her on on, on the phone here and we'll, uh, we'll patch her through. Let's see. Anne, are you there? Jim, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm That's sorry. Okay. Our connection didn't happen right away. Oh, I'm here. We thought maybe you were online. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that makes sense given the topic. We're going right to talk now, about right, right now. And and please uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it Anne Garrido? Is that how you pronounce your name? That's right. Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. Good. 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 Well, That's again, right. very interesting. We were uh, curious. Again, the book is called, of course, hashtag Rules of Engagement: Eight Christian Habits for Being Good and Doing Good Online. Um, I always like to ask, Ann, first of all, what brought the book about, you know, why did you decide to write something like this where you're just as frustrated as most of us are when you go online with all the nonsense that goes on at times? <laughs> yes, I am. You know, part of it is I've, I work in a Dominican school of theology, and for us, Veritas, or truth, you know, is on our motto. And I've, I've written a lot about truth recently in a more theological context, but I realized where a lot of the conversations around truth are going on, really for everyday people, is is online, on social media. So I wanted to kind of adapt some of the earlier work that I'd done and see how it might apply in this sphere, be useful to the everyday person in the pew. Okay, so eight practices rooted in Catholic tradition and teaching that will help you avoid doing harm— uh, let's talk about some of these because, um, you know, this is just, this is a, everybody's, you know, normal way of life for the most part these days. Everybody's online. You're, there's a lot of interaction, a lot of uh, communication. And um, so let's talk about some of these practices that we need to use rooted in our tradition. Yeah. So um, the first one that I talk about, which I think a lot of people just never even think about, like, as to why does communication exist from a Catholic perspective? So why would we be online in the first place? And I talk about a practice of just creating a mission state for, statement for yourself around getting clear as to, like, what's my goal for being online? What kind of person do I want to be showing up? And, and what am I hoping to get from these kinds of engagements? So just going in with a sense of purpose is what I start the book mm -hmm. off with from mm -hmm. the very beginning. The next one, uh, strike. I, I, this is something I always, and if anybody says I, you know, I just read on this, that, or the other thing, my my first question always, especially these days, is, what's your source, mm. or what is the source mm -hmm. of that information? Because there's there are so many sources of misinformation, disinformation, non-information, or and there are a lot of factual information out there. But how do you, uh, how do you, how do you d d discern that? You know, I'm so glad you brought that up, because I do consider that to be at the very heart of the book. And one of the things I tried to do in the book was to root it in the in the work of both Pope Benedict and Pope Francis, who had, for them, this is a major concern in their writings for World Communications Day each year. So, um, especially in recent years, eh? Yes. So, mm -hmm. one of the things, I talk about it in two different chapters. One is just making sure that the information that we've got is accurate. 
And for things like that, there's some real helpful sources out there online, like Ad Fontes Media does a great job. Um, media bias fact check can just help us to know whether or not what we're reading is accurate. But then I also talk about in the next chapter about assessing kind of the bias, like how, how so maybe the information I'm getting is accurate, but also am I getting a diversity of perspective around how to interpret this or what it might mean and making sure that I'm reading from a good variety of sources. So I only want to be reading from sources that are accurate, that are factually true. Right. But then also I want to be reading from, you know, a little bit of diversity of different perspectives so I can get a wider view on what these facts mean, how to make sense of them and what we should do about them. My routine many years ago, you know, when I, uh, of course, we're talking 25 so years ago, it would be in the morning. You'd get a, a morning, a newspaper delivered to your door or down the end of your mm -hmm. driveway, and that was your source of morning information. Or you'd and you'd probably complement that with maybe watching a morning news program. But it wasn't a lot of, uh, there weren't a lot of, of, of resources. That, that was basically it. But these days, yeah. there's so much that you can tap into or that come your way even without even asking that it, you have to really set those those uh, guidelines for yourself, I would imagine, and in order to make sure, as you say, you are getting what you know to be reliable sources. Yeah, that's really true. Um, and what I would say is, you can't you can't fact check every single story that comes in, right? Mm. So what I would say is to subscribe to a couple of reliable sources where you know these are news agencies that value accuracy very very highly. Um, so things like ABC, NPR, PBS, you know, like there's there's places where when you check, they have journalistic standards of accuracy where they fact check their reporters, you know, like that sort of stuff. It's just a basic thing that we can do to make sure that the places that we're subscribing to for our news, because many of us are reading our news through social media, me being one of them, yeah. um, that we're making sure that we're using accurate sources. As I was saying, we know our children are all grown and out of the house, 32, 30, and, and 28 years old. They don't even know what it's like to have a newspaper ink on your fingers. <laughs> they never picked up a newspaper. Mm -hmm, they, you know, right. And it's not just you know official news sources, but a lot of this viral stuff that people just send out. You know, they that they and that's we got to be have to be careful of as well, right? I'm so grateful you mentioned that. Yeah, so it's one thing to receive information into your newsfeed. It's another thing to decide what you're going to share mm. um, because there's a lot of research that's gone into the algorithms on these platforms because they're free. You know, like we paid for a newspaper, and so you're paying for reporters. Um, but when you're getting all this information free, it has to be funded somehow. And the way that it's being funded is by advertisers keeping you online longer and longer and longer. And we know that some of the stuff that keeps people online longer is inflammatory content, things that raises the level of anger, frustration, irateness. Those are the kinds of stories that are going to be go viral. They're more likely to be shared. Stuff that has highly moral content in it, like, aren't you outraged about this? Or can you even believe this? And what they're doing is they're actually stoking our anger because it, it's a financial business plan. It keeps, it keeps us online for longer, but it's not doing any good to us as readers, right? There's no virtue in maintaining anger your whole day long. And so um, how do we actually mitigate 
some of that, the impact of that kind of content on ourselves, and not just fall and not just become an advertising ploy. Mm. And as as Catholics and as Christians, um, of course, the the gist of the book is you know how do we uh, behave and how do we do good online? Um, how do we put this together then? Because you know, there are a lot of things that you you know you read and you get your 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 uh, ire up and you want to respond and you can go back and forth with people and it can get pretty nasty at times. So what what do we do? I totally agree. I mean, one of the things is I think each of us has to discern how much time are we actually able to give into conversations. I don't think that everything that comes through the screen, do I need to personally respond to? Do I need to get upset about? Do I need to, you know, get involved in? That being said, the purpose of social media is really to try to build relationships with people who maybe we do want to be in relationship with, and we do want to have tough conversations with, and we want them to be good learning conversations. And so if I, if I do decide to invest in having conversations online, one of the things I talk about is just making sure that you're thinking of the person that's in front of you as a whole person. Too often in social media, all that we see is the person's head, and I think we tend to begin to think that the entirety of a person is just their thoughts. And we forget about the doctrine of incarnation, that the whole body matters. And we forget to see people as whole people, you know, who have good days and bad days and who are loved imperfectly and who love imperfectly in return. And so I talk about um, how do we value the whole person online and how do we enter into actual conversation around stuff from a stance of curiosity, you know, just like, Hey, I noticed you posted this. I'm I'm curious. It sounds like this is a really important topic for you. Can you tell me a little bit more about what mm. this means to you or or why you wanted to share this or what you were hoping would come from posting this? Um, going in with a few more questions rather than just debating heads. We've got enough debating heads in the world. <laughs> we're talking with Anne Garrido, and the name of the book is Hashtag Rules of Engagement, Eight Christian Habits for Being Good and Doing Good Online. It's published by Ave Maria Press. Uh, their website is AveMariaPress.com. And uh, certainly a much-needed book these days, um, especially, I think, as, you know, now Cheryl and I are, uh, more of a seasoned citizens, and you see a lot of people our our age who are really online a lot more than we were in the past, perhaps. And and uh, yet, of course, our young people—that's all they know. So, um, these rules of engagement are something that we really should be practicing on a regular basis, and especially as we make this our main source of communication, apparently. Uh, through online. So, uh, friends, we, we certainly uh, uh, recommend the book. Again, it's called Number of Rules of Engagement, Eight Christian Habits for Being Good and Doing Good Online. And uh, Garrido, the author, is our guest. Um, I, we were, Sean and I were just saying, Anne, that, you know, it's, it's, it's a safe place to be where you feel almost a freedom to get a little bit more uh, vocal or controversial mm-hmm. than you would face to face. Is that true? You know, that is, that's been discussed widely, isn't it? It's kind of like, why are people behaving this way online? Like, it's like, do they behave this way at home? Right. And it's like, is this like actually how they are behaving at home? And we just never knew that this was, (laughs) this is it. I think part of it might be, and there's probably more research to be done about why does people's behavior online versus face-to-face 
seems so different. And like you're saying, Cheryl, so vocal. Mm -hmm. Um, My suspicion is in part, it is because we've forgotten that we're talking to real people. Yeah. I think that when we just see a person's head and when sometimes we don't always know the people. And also I've wondered whether the, the media, the platform itself, like for things like with Twitter, where you're only allowed, you know, like 180 characters or whatever, it forces, it, it takes away some of the things which in daily conversation live, you know, you don't have nonverbals, you can't see the person's body language, right. you're compressed, you're typing it all with your thumb. Mm-hmm. So the chance of saying something sharper than maybe you would if you could hear the tone of a person's voice. Exactly. You know, we yeah. were... Yeah, say more about that. You you have some. Yeah, I, I was just going to say it's just so two dimensional. Whereas I prefer the in person because there is that body language. There's um, inflection, inflection <laughs> in the voice, right? There's facial expressions. There's even with your hands. You know, like some uh, cultures just do a lot of talking with their hands, and they're very expressive that way. Eye contact. The, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just so much more to it, and you can say something. And sometimes we don't have a, an excellent grip on what I'm trying. Trying to relay or describe with the English language, but you know, then there's just in the conversation face to face. It's do you, you know what I'm trying to say? Do you get it? Whereas you just can't put all that in writing, and you can't see how the other person's responding Reacting. on the other side. So you can't tell if you've accidentally, you know, stepped on something for them. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas maybe in everyday conversation, you might soften your spot, soften your stance, then, or ask a question, or follow up, or just say something like, "Oh, it looks like it sounds like." Maybe you have a reaction to that. You know, you can't, it's harder to do that asynchronously. I mean, they could be looking at you. You can say something and they just like raise their eyebrows and it's like, oops, I touched a nerve. (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, again, we're missing a lot of the things we usually rely on for good communication. Mm -hmm. And so this is a very important book. And real quick, we have about a minute left. Who specifically did you write the book for? Like an age group? Oh, interesting. Yeah, I would actually say probably adults, like, and I would probably say like 30 up, um, because actually we're the ones who I would say in some ways are struggling with some of these issues more than the younger millennial generation. Mm-hmm. I think the younger millennial generation is working because they, they're digital native. They've been working out some of this stuff on their own and have figured out some new rules around stuff in a different way. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the things that I'm addressing are things that adults are encountering. Um, though, I mean, cause for myself, often I'm schooled on these things by my young adult son who says, mom, you're missing the context here. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yeah, see. Yeah. Well, it's a much needed book, friends. It's called uh, hashtag rules of engagement, eight Christian habits for being good and doing good online written by Anne. Garrido, who has been our guest. It's published by Ave Maria Press. AveMaria.com is their website, and I'm sure you can find it in all their their, uh, available book uh, locations. So, Anne, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it, and thanks for writing the book. Thank you, Anne. Oh, Jim and Cheryl, thanks for having me on. It's been a delight to talk to you. Great. We'll we'll continue our conversation online with all good Christian charity. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm all in favor. God God bless bless you, Anne. Thanks. Bye-bye. God bless. Thanks. All right, friends, and you stay where you are. Be back with more Jim's here with the weather and more to come. Stay right there.
night and day so we could play and pray together so now let's see what's headed our way as jim gives us the weather 
Okay, and that means it's time for our domestic church media chief meteorologist, Dr. Jim Hoffman. <laughs> Doctor, oh wow. I like saying that because it just makes it sound so official. <laughs> wow, I, I kind of like that. <laughs> Dr. Jim Hoffman. Yeah. What's your highest? Along with the doctorate, you know, there's a lot of money that people spend to get a doctorate. So I, I don't, right. I don't want to take that title, you know, without having gone through the pain and suffering that a lot of people. No, <laughs> no, I told you, we 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 have presented you with an honorary doctorate here from Domestic Church. Oh, mm-hmm. there we go. <laughs> I can take that. Thing. You get to wear that funny hat. You know that funny hat they wear when they give them an honorary doctorate? They make them wear that yeah, funny the, hat. The tinfoil hat with the propeller on it. Yeah, that's, that's it. That would be better. I wish they would do something like that. Those little beanies <laughs> with the helicopter on the top? That's right. That's well, right. I would well, look cute in that, I guess. Make it like a weather vane. I, I think it would be great, you know, with the arrows and the rooster. Maybe we should just start handing out honorary doctorates now. All right. Although I guess you need some kind of certification to have <laughs> I Get it know. online. I, I think anyone can do it. These yeah. days, anything goes, I think. Unfortunately, that's what's happening. But uh, yeah. Hey, I was yeah. sitting in my office all week long, and there's a, there's a drain spout outside my, my window that I have a corner office. And all week long, I just hear the drip, 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 sound drip, like drip, a river. drip, 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 running down, water <laughs> running. So yes. that was nice to hear. That's called melting. <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid it was a, a water leak, but yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, our, our, backyard, is, our backyard is like... Uh, Gosh, the mud pit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they yeah, have they, older, they they have mud. Season. My sister lives in Vermont, and they do have something called mud season. Yeah, where all the snow melts and it's just mud for like months. <laughs> so that's I guess we're yeah. Just... The problem is when what when, when we let the dogs out, you know, they come back with muddy paws, and we have to give them little puppy manicures before they come back in. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so listen, it's been it's been a great week. It's uh, had a little touch of spring. I saw a couple of robins, heard them singing. What's going on out there? Yeah, Wednesday was a beautiful day. Got up into um, the mid fifties. Oh, That's it where was we had a lot cool. of the snow melt. It was a beautiful day. Gorgeous, just to be out and feel that sun. I mean, it it probably it to me it felt like seventy compared to all this twenty five and twenty eight degrees. Absolutely, I actually went out. And went out on a bike ride. That's okay. right. Oh, good, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it was nice. Well, uh, right now today wasn't too bad. It got to about 45 degrees today, and we had sunny skies out there. But if you look outside right now, there's a few clouds. That's a harbinger of things to come. Mm-mm. So right now we're in the 40s out there. Generally, Ewing 44, Freehold 41, Hamilton 42, right by the Atlantic City Airport. Hamilton, 44, Cape May, 43. And down at the shore, now it's not 85 degrees and sunny. It's <laughs> 42 in Beach Haven and 42 in Seaside Heights. Oh. You think they could tonight, do something about that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tonight, uh, those clouds that you see coming in, they're going to start producing some rain, mainly around midnight. I expect the rain to start in the area. Uh, low around 36. That rain continues on Saturday into the early afternoon, high of 54. When that rain ends, I don't think we're out of the woods yet. Uh, Saturday night, mostly cloudy, low 39, and then the rain comes back on Sunday, uh, starting in the late morning. And that rain could be heavy, high around 50 on Sunday. Mm. Sunday night, chance of showers, low around 43. And then Monday, first day of the work week, slight chance of showers in the morning, then becoming partly sunny. High in the 50s, high uh, near 53. And then looking forward into the week, work week ahead, uh, looks like we're going to be in the 
Oh, looks like maybe in the mid to upper forties and lows in the thirties. So not not too bad. Maybe some rain on Wednesday, but other than that, it's um, you know we're progressing towards spring. Isn't that true? And I, you know, I I yeah. have this weather app and I look ahead for two weeks and it looks like it's forties and fifties down the road into mid almost mid March. So who knows? Maybe we've seen the last yeah. of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Well, I like the snow. I, but I also like the spring and the summer and yeah. the fall. So <laughs> well, you're, li- I, I like you're living things. in the right place. <laughs> a little bit of each. Yeah, me too. You're living in the right place. We laugh because when, we, when yeah. we lived in Arizona many years ago when we first got married, the first year was great. We were still on our honeymoon. But the second year, we drive up to like Sedona to see the leaves change, and we drive over to San Diego to see the beach. and. Hmm. We'd go to Flagstaff to see the the, the snow, and we're just fi- looking for seasons. So, yeah. you're in the right yeah, place. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was I was recently. Well, this was maybe uh, the end of last year. I was at the Grand Canyon, right? And driving driving back to Phoenix, yeah, I went through Flagstaff, and it was snowing, right? You know, a few inches on the ground, and then you head towards Phoenix, and you're going downhill, and yeah, you, you, you see the change in the season. Right. <laughs> right. Try, that's right. It's so true. Yeah, it was it's spring so true. by the time we got the season. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, listen, Jim, we appreciate it. And uh, as always, thank you for all you do for us. And we pray you and Jackie and the family have a blessed weekend. And we look forward to talking with you next week. Great. You too. God bless. Okay. God bless thank you. you. Thank Jim. you, Jim. Bye. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. He hung up pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a busy man. He's a busy man. Time to name that Catholic tune. Boy, we have a lot of fun playing this game, and uh, we hope you do too. <laughs> hope you do too. Well, uh, Cheryl's going to give some information about today's Catholic tune, mm-hmm. and uh, listen carefully. Then she's going to play a little bit of it on the keyboard there. And uh, once she plays that, if you think you know what it is, give us a call here at 609-493-8255. That's 609 609- Four nine three eighty two fifty five. But don't call until she plays it on the uh, the uh, keyboard there and gives you a little musical hint. But here's some information about today's Catholic tune. Now, do you remember that show? I can name that tune. I, I think name they that actually tune was named have a, a remake of it. I can name that tune in five notes yeah, and four notes yeah, and third. Yeah. I'm going to play the shortest tiny phrase because I feel like. So you think that the listeners can name that tune in three notes? One, two, three, four. Four notes. I'm going to try four notes. Okay, so the listener, <laughs> okay. you should be able to name this tune in four notes. We'll see. All right, but first we'll give see. some clues. 609-493-8255. For this week, I've chosen another very popular Lenten, Good Friday-type Holy Week hymn, truly reflecting the season and the, the uh, Bible stories that we read. It is a spiritual, even though I, I'm saying it's a hymn, it's definitely a spiritual. And it places the singer at the foot of the cross. The text and music are anonymous. It's been handed down through the centuries, um, I would say before the Civil War. It first appeared in a book of um, plantation songs, what was the name of the, the hymnal. 
but as I say, anonymous. The words of this hymn invite us to remember Christ's journey in the last days of his life here on earth. We tremble with sorrow and tears. And after four or five verses, we are trembling in awe of the empty tomb. This is included in almost every hymnal, no matter what the denomination, over the past 30 or 40 years. I think you can find it in every church songbook. Shall we hear those sure. four notes? Step over to the uh, mighty Wurlitzer there. And, uh, friends, the number is 609-493-8255. Someone's calling already. Yes. You don't know what it is yet. Stop calling. 609. Oh, they hung up. 609-493-8255. That's the number. 609-493-8255. Here is today's Catholic. You're only going to play four notes? I'm really seriously. Listeners, you can name this Catholic tune in four notes. Here we go. All right. Is that loud enough? Yeah, maybe a little louder, but I uh, try it again because I don't know if I would get that. Oh, okay. If not, I'll play more. 609-493-8255. And the word for those four notes is O. Someone's already calling. (laughs) Here we go. Okay. All right, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hey, Jim, this is Mike uh, Ferguson. I'm from uh, Church of Nativity. All right. Actually, your parish liaison there. Oh, very good, Mike. Thank you so much for being our liaison. And... uh, What is, what do you think today's Catholic tune is? Lift High the Cross. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. You know what? That's brilliant because those are the first four notes. Lift High the Cross. Da, right. da, 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 da. Okay, so stay on. If I play more, can he hear? <laughs> yes, I'm going to give you some more. Give, give him a second. Give him a Very second. Good. That, you're right. Oh, that's right. amazing. Okay. All right, Mike. You stay, no, okay. stay right where you are. Here's a little bit more. Will he be able to hear? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to continue that phrase. Ooh. Mike, what do you think? I don't think. <laughs> don't? I know it. Does that ring a bell now? Uh, oh, oh, um, Come on, Mike. You can do it. You can do it, Mike. It was when he was there. When it was when. Uh, right. When who was there? How about you? Something... Were you there? What's that? I, 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 who was there? Were you there? <laughs> no. We were there. We okay, were there. come on. We were there when he was. That's right. Yes. What, what, you said it. what was it? Go ahead, Mike. You said it. Well, like we were there when he was on the cross. Or right, right. Were you there? Were you there? When they crucified Mike. Hey, Mike, I'm going to give it to you. All right, Mike. You get special special treatment for being a liaison, number one. But That's right. For giving it the old college try. But more so, I mean, he absolutely recognized. That, uh, and, of course, Lift High the Lift Cross. Lift High the Cross. They play that one on Holy Thursday. We're talking about the foot of the cross. So very good. But right, it Mike. was Were You There is the spiritual. Mike, we have your information since you're a liaison, so I wouldn't have to put you on hold. But. Yes. Uh, Thank you so much for playing, and congratulations. We'll send you a fine prize. Do you Are you involved at the parish in other ways, Mike? 
not currently. Okay. Um, my wife and I had done pre cana some time ago, but uh, otherwise, uh, just keeping Father Jim uh, on the straight and narrow. Good. Oh, good. Very good. Well, he'll be joining us next hour. So Great. Uh, again, Mike, thanks for playing. Thanks for all you do for us. We really appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you, guys. All God, right. God bless. Bye-bye. And Thanks. friends, you stay where you are. We'll be right back. Don't go away. That's amazing. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you
All right, congratulations, Mike uh, from Fairhaven, who is our winner today. Yes, that was today's Catholic tune. Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? And uh, that beautiful old spiritual that uh, is very, very obviously they sing Good Friday because everybody sings it on Good Friday. Absolutely. And then additional verses have been added depending on which hymnal you use or who the editor is. Um, you know, when they pierced his side, when they closed the tomb, when Jesus resurrected him from the tomb. I mean, there's a several, you could have 10 or 12 verses, yeah. but um, commonly you'll see four or five. Mm-hmm. And uh, now lift high the cross. You like that hymn. That's going to be my closing hymn <laughs> when, okay, I, now. when I'm done, when I close out my time on earth. Okay. I want that as my recessional. All right. Lift high the cross. That's what I want to go out go out with. That's powerful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I want to go out with that one. So anyway. Because so, you've had your crosses to bear. Oh, indeed. Indeed, indeed. But God mm-hmm. is so good. All right, we'll take a break. Come back. Father Jim Grogan, a pastor of Nativity of Our Lord in Fairhaven, will be joining us. He's going to give a reflection for this coming Sunday's gospel, the second Sunday of Lent. And then next hour, also Deacon Ed. Shoner is going to join us about a book called When a Loved One Dies by Suicide. So stay where you are, my friends. There's more to come. Another big hour on Friday Live. Everyone has to work through mounds of mundane stuff every day. Even the Pope has to rubber stamp a stack of papers today. The question is, what spirit do you bring to that stuff? I was folding laundry the other day for six kids. The mound was huge, and I was starting to get this terrible attitude. Arg, I don't want to be doing this. And I remembered a guy who reached out to our ministry anonymously through an email contact form. He was in a different continent. He said, can someone come visit me? I'm ill, I'm so lonely, I have no friends, no family. He was just reaching out to the internet in desperation. I almost started crying as I folded each shirt. Thank you God for the kid who wears this shirt, the wife who wears that dress. Listen, if you have work today, give thanks. And if you have people you love who you're getting to work for, give thanks even more. If you do, your work might still be kind of stinky, but at least you won't be. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com on EWTN Radio. Pope Francis said, The key that opens the door to faith is prayer. Join St. Paul Street Evangelization by running a prayer station in the public square. You don't need to be a professional apologist or theologian. 
Just listen to the needs of the people you encounter. Offer encouragement, take prayer requests, and pray with people. Find out more and get involved today at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. Bishop Robert Barron. Tolkien has reached out to, you know, Nordic culture and literature and Icelandic sagas and all sorts of things. He learned a lot about the good, the true, and the beautiful from his study of pre-Christian cultures. He used narrative forms that were accessible to the culture. He adapted that to evangelical purposes. So that shows you that flexibility. It shows you a certain um, creativity in the evangelical uh, art. He did not proselytize. Rather, he very delicately and indirectly and cleverly evangelized through the imagination so that someone taking in these great stories of Tolkien or his friend C.S. Lewis, they're going to say, oh yeah, I get that. I recognize that pattern. So that finally when they hear the gospel, they'll say, yeah, I understand that. I learned that from the Lord of the Rings. I learned that pattern from the Narnia stories. That was the genius of those fellas. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN radio. When I was outside of the church, there was always an unsettled feeling. There was always a feeling of something missing and something not complete. The, the deal clincher is we found our way to our, our parish and we met just an incredible pastor. We learned things that we'd never been taught. Wouldn't be the person that I am without the church and without the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist. I can't live without it. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. 60 Seconds with Mother Angelica. I want to be like Jesus. That should be in the heart of every Catholic, every Christian. I want to be like Jesus. Well, if you don't know what's not like Jesus in you, how are you going to be like Jesus? I mean, if you're the perfect one, then you got it made, but you don't. But I need light. You need light. You need light to know what's wrong with you. So let's not be afraid of Jesus. Let's not be afraid to know ourselves. If you gossip a lot, if you committed some pretty bad sins, if you, you're angry, saucy, always complaining, always griping, then you need to say, I am always griping. I need to change. I love you, and so does God. Bye now. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Hi, I'm Mike Walsh, co-host of Talking Catholic. Every week, our show will bring you in-depth interviews with the hardworking people doing the Lord's work in parishes, schools, and ministries. Our increasingly secularized world often makes it easy to forget that we are surrounded by wonderful workers in the vineyard. On Talking Catholic, we will bring you their perspectives on how we can better serve God and our neighbors. Tune in to Talking Catholic on Sundays at 11 a.m. and Mondays at 4 p.m. This is WFJS 1260 AM Trenton, WFJS 89.3 FM Freehold, WGYM 1580 AM Hamilton, and WSMJ 91.9 FM North Wildwood, Cape May. Communicating hope on Domestic Church Catholic Radio.
Well, another big hour, Friday Live, on this uh, February 26th, the last Friday in February 2021. I'm Jim. And this is Cheryl. Thanks for staying with us. Happy to be here and hope you will stay with us this hour because coming up we're going to have the gospel for this coming sun- Sunday, which is the first, uh, second Sunday in Lent. Mm-hmm. And our good friend, Father Jim Grogan, uh, who has uh, done the reflection for us. And, you know, Father Jim, Father Chris Walsh, um, uh, sorry, Father Chris Rogers, uh, and uh, Father John Butler. And who did I forget? We have four of them. <laughs> right. Oh, Father, Father Gary. Right. Father Gary. Uh, who do these, I mean, just faithfully and have been doing it for a few years now. We thank them so much. We're so grateful that they take the time. Because they are very busy. Mm. All the priests mm-hmm. and, and the deacons, they're just overloaded with different things. And especially this year when things are so really different and they have to be so creative, it's taking more time and effort to uh, get the word out among their flock. Yeah, so we, so. we thank them. And uh, just again, I don't even have to ask. They just, they know when to send it and they send it. And it's Beautiful. great. So we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. So we have that. And then uh, later on this hour, Deacon Ed Schoner, who I believe is from the Diocese of Scranton, Pennsylvania, to talk about a brand new book called When a Loved One Dies by Suicide. So Deacon Ed will be joining us uh, in just a little bit. So stay with us. But let's uh, let's begin with our gospel reflection. Now, I, again, you know, Mark, the it's gospel short. of Mark, very short <laughs> gospels, which uh, <laughs> maybe a lot of people— He would have been good on the Internet, you know, brief and to the point, yeah. but, in, you know, very, very nice. He'd, he'd be a good Twitter, done. a good tweeter. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's today's—the uh, Sunday's gospel. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what to say. They were so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them. From the cloud came a voice, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus alone with them. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, Lord Lord Jesus Jesus Christ. Christ. Our Gospel this week tells the story of the Transfiguration, the powerful revelation to Peter, James, and John about the overwhelming presence of God. It gave them a new perspective, a glimpse into God's glory. Let me ask you a question about perspective. What does snow look like? What seems like a simple question is one that can help us understand how perspective changes everything we see. As I write this homily, I'm looking out on our parish parking lot at piles of snow over eight feet high, so high that they hide what is behind them. In the corner of our parking lot sits the massive earth mover and plow that made those piles. 
this is where the perspective starts to get interesting. As a pastor, that snowplow reminds me of the bill I will receive for plowing, certainly a necessary step in maintaining access to the parish for Mass. As a skier, those piles of snow remind me that I've had the chance to get out skiing four times this winter, where last winter there was barely any snow. I can look at the beauty of the snow which covers the landscape so gently, and I can look at the gray snow peeking out from the bottom of the piles, where salt and sand and bits of leaves and stones are caught up from the plow. And I'm thankful for the most recent snowfall that lightly covered this gray. As a photographer, the snow reminds me of the hike in my local nature preserve, off the beaten paths, my footsteps being the first in the snow. To get a close-up picture on a, of on a tree, of ice-shrouded branches, of bright red hollyberries contrasting to the almost black-and-white image of the snowscape. And I look at the difference between a still picture and a video when the snow was falling down, each capturing differently the effects of my question, what does snow look like? Others may see snow with fear, perhaps reminding them of an accident on a snowy road in the past. Some, like one of my sons who drives a snowplow, may see it as an opportunity for work and longer hours when the rest of us may be sleeping. In this season of Lent, now that I've gotten my fix of skiing, I hope for the snow to melt quickly so that we may resume our outdoor stations of the cross, hampered by the multiple snowstorms this month of February. We also have two phrases about snow, whiteout and snow blind. Both relate to what and whether we can see clearly through the brightness that may accompany a snowstorm or a snowy landscape on a sunny day. Jesus' transfiguration could have the effect of blinding the apostles. Why did Jesus only bring Peter, James, and John? Perhaps because they were ready for the powerful experience and the others were not, at least not yet. This moment in Jesus' teaching of the apostles takes place about two years into his ministry, and some might not yet have been ready to glimpse Jesus in his glory. All of this relates to our lives of faith, too. Each of us follow unique pilgrimages of faith. One may be ready to trust God now, to surrender our lives, to enter into a depth of prayer sooner than another. Some of us become blinded by the message of the gospel, only to later understand what Jesus says to each of us. Some will ask questions to Jesus along this pilgrimage, just as Peter asked if he should build three tents for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, really hoping to keep them and this moment lasting a little longer. During this season of Lent, as each of us continue on our pilgrimage of faith, sometimes we climb mountains of understanding, Sometimes we stumble across broken paths of doubt. Let us remain open to Jesus revealing his love to us, to each of us, as we are ready and able to understand. May we make our own the words of the Father from today's Gospel. Listen to him.
right, Christ be our light. Thanks to Father Jim for his lovely reflection on Sunday's Gospel, second Sunday of Lent, the Transfiguration. And, you know, Lent's going to go by, be over before you know it. <laughs> I know, and you always, I always look at it, my goodness, Lent is just so very long. Well, compared to Advent, it is, because not only the five Sundays of Lent, then you have an extra week, and then it's Palm Sunday, and then finally... Holy Weekend, Easter, it just it seems long, but somehow in the middle of it, it starts flying by. Mm-hmm. Time plays tricks on yeah, us. I wonder how our friends, our listeners are doing on their Lenten goals and sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've not had any bread except for the Eucharist. Mm. I've not. With that calzone that I had on Ash Wednesday. Makes up for all the carbs no, you I only could have. No, <laughs> I only ate half of it, and the other half is in the I eat the other half on Holy Saturday. Oh, there you go. Oh, that wasn't the half that was in the freezer, the, was it? That's the half I put back in the freezer. Hmm. <laughs> I saw it in the refrigerator last night. Oh, no, you don't. I'm putting that back in the freezer. That's my holy Saturday treat. Well, you know, Fridays are tough, but my Fridays are so busy. And I thought I, I need something without meat. Well, there, you put, there was a slice of pizza in there you put mm-hmm. there, too. You could have that, but don't eat my cows. <laughs> that's, right. that's my holy Saturday treat. All right. Actually, I, I think this year I'm going, to, I'm going to try to make hot cross buns. Are you? I saw a recipe. Did you like? Do you like hot cross buns mm, well, on I'm, Holy Saturday? Not necessarily. You know, with the raisins. Well, I'm just in them like the... anti-carb altogether. I try not to eat any of that stuff. Yeah, but I mean, with the raisins in them and, and the and the. I'll pick off the raisins. I'll eat the raisins. Well, <laughs> I'm going to try it. I think I'm going to try to make those for for Holy mm-hmm. Saturday. That and my calzone. Good. I wonder if we're going anywhere Easter Sunday. We could bring them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's another. You have me again all Easter, all to yourself. Just like last year. Yeah. But I was reading. Go ahead. I was going to say, I wonder what, what are um, some of our listeners go to for those Fridays in Lent? You know, many people do fast entirely or they make one full meal. Is it? Is it you try to do soup or tuna fish or... What, do you remember what your mother used to make? We always had like pea, pea soup, soup or lentil soup. <laughs> yeah, oh. pea soup. Pea soup and a loaf of bread or something. That's you know, when Italian I learned bread. how to fast. <laughs> I kind of got it. I got I got used to the pea soup. No, not me. Mm-mm. I didn't mind it. We and don't like peas the, in general. It, no. When the kids complained enough, it eventually morphed into like pancakes and eggs. I liked <laughs> that. That's, but uh, then you enjoy it so much. I thought well, that's not a Friday in Lent. I'm 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 loving this meal. Well, let's you, you, maybe I don't know. I know when I was growing up, it wasn't just Fridays in Lent. It was every Friday you couldn't right, eat. Right, right. And our family, no. But I know in many families, yes. Yeah, we just didn't have meat on Fridays. All year. All year. That was that was the rule until and Vatican II. It certainly lends itself then to remembering in Lent because you were already in the habit of it Fridays that are known. And I, I almost forgot we have those two nice pieces of chicken in the refrigerator. Yeah. And I was just I was thinking oh gee, I should have brought them for for lunch, but Oops. you can't. I didn't. I I had my tuna fish, but you don't think about it because it's only six weeks out of the year that you have to do that. I know. I know. I think it's a little confusing. Didn't you tell me somewhere you heard that they were going to move Ascension Thursday to, to Sunday. Sunday across the board? Right. Is that going to happen? Just... I have no idea. We're waiting to hear. Perhaps Did you read it online? Our... <laughs> That's right. Now, I was told by our uh, someone of authority in the church, but um, in Could... many places it is moved to, yeah. I guess, the seventh Sunday of—no, no, no, no. Where, where would that be? 
Oh, oh yeah, that, seventh Sunday of Easter. Yeah, because would, they don't have enough priests, or they drive, you know, South to go Dakota Thursday or and Sunday. Yeah. Right, right. But to do that in these local parishes where there's two there's or no three, there's no need for that. No, keep no. it Thursday. I will keep you posted if there's some right. sort of directive. So I was reading this article in Good Housekeeping about tomatoes. I don't know if tomatoes are in the Bible. I meant to look it up. Can you find tomatoes <laughs> in the wonder. Bible? I wonder. Let's see. But go ahead. What do you have there? Um, just the health benefits of tomatoes. It can improve your heart uh, health. It says uh, it helps control blood pressure, prevent um, arteriosclerosis, lower your LDL cholesterol and Ooh. triglycerides while promoting the synthesis of dysfunction HDL particles. It may lower your cancer risk. Now, I found this interesting. Apparently, in yes. 2002, there was a famous pizza study. Really? This is, this is at a good house game. I'm not making this up. So that's it's, my source. It's got to be reliable. <laughs> Back in 2002, researchers found that men who ate pizza twice or more a week reduced their risk for prostate cancer by 23%. <laughs> they probably gained a lot of weight, but the prostate I love can. tomatoes. I will tell you, uh, when I was... Working and living alone and really scrimping, I would buy tomatoes and eat them just like apples. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure, you could do that. I fact, had one the other night. I cut one up and loved, just put some salad it. dressing on it. Yeah. Or put some, you know, some, some low-fat mayonnaise on it with some salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. My mother used to give us, speaking of eating tomatoes like an apple, she used to give us slices of onion to eat as a snack. Oh. Remember Father Doherty? Did he do that? He would have onions for breakfast, slices really? of onions. Just raw onion. Yes. Yeah. My mother would slice it up. In fact, I was watching a movie from the nineteen late 1930s with young Sinatra. And in it, because this is the Depression, but in it he asked, he was at a, a, a counter, like a five and ten, and he asked for an onion sandwich. Mm. That was like people just had onion sandwiches, just onion. I know someone who used to eat mustard sandwiches. Yeah, <laughs> Remember that? Right, yes. So, yes. you know, okay, here it is. In 1 Corinthians mm-hmm. chapter 15, verse 38, you could never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it does not look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrected body that comes from it will be dramatically different. There you go. So tomato with tomato. So you go so to tie it in. Mr. Google. Google tomato and Bible. Is that what you got? Mm-hmm. I, I said, it. does the word tomato appear in the Bible? There you go. What does the Bible say about eating tomatoes? Well, probably the same thing the good housekeeping says. <laughs> <laughs> that men who ate pizza twice or more a week. Uh, reduce their risk of prostate cancer by 23%. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand it's uh, cooked tomatoes are even better. Not just raw, but like for men, for like the prostate health, mm-hmm. cooked tomatoes, like tomato sauce, tomato juice, tomato paste. Mm-hmm. Just eat the tomato paste. Right. Because How about like, so you can buy cans, canned tomatoes. Oh, sure. Plum tomatoes. Sure, and you such. can buy that. Yeah. And I've always loved tomato sauce. Right. I've always it's, I put tomato sauce in anything and I'll eat it. <laughs> as long as it has tomato sauce. Tomato on it. gravy. My father used to call it gravy, but he was mm-hmm. from his family. He was from Hoboken, but his his uh, parents grew up in Brooklyn. Apparently, in Brooklyn, that's the all right. You call it gravy. Yes. So that was another benefit. Uh, can, uh, tomatoes can give you a vitamin boost. 
Um, uh, good source of vitamin C, potassium. Um, interesting factoid here. Gram for gram, tomato puree has more potassium than fresh tomatoes. And tomato paste has twice the potassium of the puree, mm. I guess, because... Uh, and you enjoy tomato juice as well. I do tomato juice every morning. Yes. Um, tomatoes may reduce the effect of diabetes. Uh, let's see. And tomatoes can help you stay regular. <laughs> Many advantages. We're giggling like we're in grammar school about being regular. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, the mighty tomato. Well, you know. There's a lot of fiber in tomatoes. Why don't we try to grow tomatoes? They're easy to grow, you know. Anything we plant seems to not survive, though. That's, yeah, well, that's our problem. Let's look into this a little bit. Maybe put a little garden in the backyard? Sure. I'll do There's that. a little. Uh, you do the garden and I'll cook. Little project. Put some because we like the zucchini. We can grow the zucchini. Yes, cucumbers. Tomato, cucumbers. Um, I mean, people do it. What else can we grow? Well, let's just see if this works first. The tomatoes. <laughs> Doesn't okay. get too ambitious. How about corn on the cob? You can't grow. <laughs> let's grow some corn. Let's get a let's couple. Just... Get a couple of goats for the backyard. <laughs> and chickens, you love your eggs. Yeah, a couple of chickens. That would the neighborhood would enjoy the aroma <laughs> of the chicken coop in the backyard of the Manfredonia house. Mm. Tomatoes can safeguard your vision. Uh, lycopene-rich foods, which are also good for your prostate, men. Uh, studies have linked lycopene consumption to a lower risk of developing age-related macular degeneration and potentially cataracts. Now, you really don't like tomato sauce, though, on spaghetti and stuff. You always no, ask for I, the oil and the garlic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll eat it once in a while, but it's not my first choice. But I do love just tomatoes, just to slice them, put them on a salad. Yes. Just, just the plain but tomato. But you don't really care for the sauce. No. Oh, it says, while you're stocking up on tomatoes, grab some eggs and green leafy vegetables, both of which contain, and I can't even pronounce these, whatever <laughs> they are, two other eye-healthy Carotenoids, like carrots. <laughs> <laughs> Carotenoids? Yeah, that's has, the official to, name for has carrot. has to do with carrots. Okay, <laughs> I'm sure. You eye healthy carotenoids because you need to eat carrots. <laughs> You're such a scientist, Jim. I know. You really have missed your calling. I have. But I have, I have, I was saying the other day on my program, I was, I'm enjoying my, my honing my culinary skills. Complete like with that, Rachel Ray cookware. I got Rachel Ray Potts. Um, the carbonara, the spaghetti carbonara I made you on Sunday. That was good. You like that? Oh, that, that was very good. And I made the sausage and peppers on top of the pasta. That was good. Made the, uh, oh, uh, the um, what do you call it? The uh, brajol. And I tell you, if our children are listening, they would say, why Why did we wait so long to start all those years? Because now we have time to cook. <laughs> now we have the time to That's cook. That's true. We're not picking people up from rehearsals and practices and, and driving them bus here stops. and there. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have time. And I watch, and on YouTube, it's all kinds. And that I should probably go to that father. Remember we had him on the program, Father Paddle, Paddle um, WWTN. Oh, Yes. I know he had a cooking about. show. I should look up some of his stuff. Mm-hmm. We probably have one of his books. Yeah. Padaling Hung. Padaling Hung, yeah. And we have the Vatican cookbook. Mm-hmm. Those were so complicated. Yeah, though. they were a little bit and more complicated. And they would ask for things like, well, you, you know, you add a uh, smidgen of truffle oil. Yeah. Okay, well. skip it. <laughs> yeah, right. 
<laughs> if you can't which get is it at ShopRite, forget about it. Which is why I tried the chocolate mousse from the Vatican cookbook. Oh, that's cookbook right, and, and it flopped. I, I made cement. It flopped. That's, I, at least I have a good recipe well, think for of, cement. We'll think of our, our Easter dinner for two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're so popular, there's no invitations yeah, here. Right. Uh, but we're immune. Yes. That's, that's the key. We're immune. Yeah, well, we might as well just join the leper colony. Now. We'll see. With that being said, we're going to go to a very beautiful setting of Psalm 23. Shepherd me, O God. Mm -hmm. And then we're looking forward to Deacon Ed Schoner, who has written a book entitled When a Loved One Dies by Suicide. That's right. So a serious topic now. All right. We'll take a break and come back with Deacon Ed. So stay where you are.
mercy, follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of my God forevermore. Welcome back, friends. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, deacon Ed Schoner was a um, uh, ordained a permanent deacon in 2004, serves at St. Peter's Cathedral in the Diocese of Scranton. He's the founding member of the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers, the Catholic Institute of Mes- Mental Health Ministry at the University of San Diego, and the Scranton Mental Health Ministry. Um, he has uh, compiled a, a book, uh, a, a necessary book, because in these days, especially over the past year, there have been a number of has been an increase in in suicides, and but it is a, a an issue that needs to be talked about and discussed. And we want to thank Deacon Ed for joining us. Deacon, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Jim, and it's great that you uh, want to talk about this in your show. This is very very much needed. Well, it is needed, and and maybe you can tell us if you would. I know it's not easy to talk about, but but uh, you yourself. Um, your daughter committed suicide, and I would imagine that that was something that helped to maybe inspire compiling these stories. Oh, God be with you and your family, Deacon Ed. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, you know, it, I guess I'll start it by saying that God can turn everything to the good, even even something as, as heartbreaking and evil as suicide. Uh, our daughter, Katie, had bipolar disorder for about 11 years. And up and down, and she she uh, uh, led a good life. Uh, quite often, the medicines worked, and she was uh, able to uh, go to school, graduate with an MBA from Ohio State. But she had a, a mental illness called bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. and she would have moments of mania, but also moments of very deep depression, uh, just extraordinarily deep depression that would come on her quickly. And sadly, she died at the age of 29 in August of 2016. By suicide, uh, and when I, we, my family, we wrote the obituary about Katie, and, and this is what the, uh, what is um, um, remarkable about this story is, is that we wrote an obituary simply for our community in Scranton, our parish, and we were quite open uh, about it that Katie had a mental illness and died by suicide, but not to uh, define her by that, uh, not define her by her illness or by the way she died. She was a beautiful, vibrant young woman, and she was loved by God, and she was a beautiful creation of God. If you knew Katie, you would you would say that. Um, when her illness was not uh, getting the best of her, she was a, just a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, much to our surprise, that obituary uh, went viral, and we, um, you know, it was covered by newspapers across the country, even around the world. It was a simple obituary, but it was quite open. And it spoke to what people who live with mental illnesses, apparently it spoke to what they have to endure, uh, that they're defined by their illnesses, and also the people that have lost someone to suicide, that their loved one is defined by that suicide. And so, yes, yeah, so that... Uh, inspired me to join with some other folks in the church who are involved with ministering to people that live with a mental illness, and also uh, to write these books, along with uh, Auxiliary Bishop Dolan from San Diego, who also has lost 
uh, family members to suicide. And other mm-hmm. Catholic leaders, as, as you know in this book, there's other Catholic leaders talk about their experience of suicide in their families and what that means and what the teachings of the Church are. So God is good. God it's, is good. It seems like, Deacon Ed, there, there's like a couple, well, probably many layers, but the first uh, thing I think of, there's a couple of layers here. There's the stigma attached just, you know, on the surface value um, when somebody commits suicide or when they have this mental illness. Again, there's that stigma attached to it. And mostly I think it's because we don't understand it. People are not well educated and they they tend to like stay away and avoid because they really just don't know about it. But then the second level is that the, all of their suffering and eventual suicide. And how does that weigh into Catholic teaching? So, if you could You're right. speak stigma, on it. Yeah. Stigma is very tough to live with. Uh, when I preach on this occasionally, I, I equate people that live with a mental illness quite often to uh, having to endure with uh, the stories of the lepers mm-hmm. in, uh, in, the, in the Scripture. But back in those days, people did not understand leprosy. They, uh, they, they put a moral judgment on people that had leprosy. They, they cast them in the side. Right. You know, they treated them terribly. And can you imagine if you were the parent of a person back in those days whose child got leprosy? Mm-hmm. How heartbreaking that must have been. To, uh, to know, You knew if there was no fault of your own that your child had leprosy and you, you would be looked upon. You knew that your child would be looked down upon. And uh, as we, of course, then subsequently learned, leprosy is a illness. And, it, it, you know, these days it's treated and uh, no one is ashamed like that if they get leprosy. Mm-hmm. Sadly, uh, mental illness still has some of that uh, associated with it, and, and that's why there's such a stigma and, and outright fear. Now, fortunately, most, most people, the vast majority of people with mental illness do not die by suicide, mm-hmm. uh, but, but a certain percentage do, and for most suicides, usually, not always, but uh, usually a, a mental health challenge or, or mental illness is a component to what, what led to the suicide. Uh, but the, the Church, uh, you know, teaching in the past, you may know this, I'm certainly old enough to remember when uh, a Catholic funeral was not allowed if, if someone died right. by suicide, and they could not be buried in a Catholic cemetery. Right. And I guess the best thing I could say about that was is it was maybe it was a very crude form of suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, doing things like that. Would, but fortunately, you know, the great uh, Saint John, uh, Pope John Paul II, when the Catechism was revised in 1992, uh, addressed the issue of suicide in the Catechism. There's a couple paragraphs about it, and they recognize the uh, psychological uh, factors that can play into into most suicide. Uh, you know, they say great psychological disturbances, anguish, or great great fear um, can diminish the responsibility of one committing suicide. So mm-hmm. the, the Church recognizes that suicide, most suicides are irrational things that are rooted in despair and mental illnesses. And the thing that I and my family trait great comfort in is the, uh, the Catechism says we should not despair of the eternal mm-hmm. salvation of persons who have taken their own lives. That's right. By ways known only to him, God can provide the opportunity for repentance. The Church prays for people, persons who have taken their own lives. Mm-hmm. That's so comforting, and it's, uh, and it's so true. God, uh, the Lord, has great, great mercy. And that is a beautiful paragraph in, in the Catechism there. Uh, we're talking with Deacon Ed Schoner, and the uh, name of the book is When a Loved One Dies by Suicide. He's compiled and edited this with uh, 
Bishop John Dolan, uh, various stories. And, and you know, Deacon, that, that is something I think that initially Catholics immediately think of, especially those of us who grew up, you know, pre-Vatican II, and uh, right away you hear the word suicide and, and you, you think the worst as far as their eternal salvation goes. But there is such comfort in that teaching from the catechism, and I'm sure this is something that gave you, as you said, gave you great comfort. Well, because the mental illness played into, you know, the the impetus behind that person um, being moved to end their life, and it's really through no fault of their own. I mean, we have to blame the mental illness, right? I would agree with that completely. Yeah, uh-huh. it, you know, for it to be a mortal sin, you have to have three components, and certainly suicide is grave, serious matter, taking your own life. But mm-hmm. it has to be with the full rational knowledge and will. And when mm-hmm. you, with the, in so many of these circumstances that uh, lead someone to suicide, that that's not that's missing. I mean, it's hard to understand, but it, 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 you see, rational depressions and delusions take over a person's mind, and it's just. Um, a shame, and, and you're right, it does. We trust them to the mercy of God rather than condemn them to hell uh, when this happens. Um, you know, the other thing that slowly society's starting to change, but you know, one of the one of the facts that people find surprising is, is that uh, the suicide rate today, although it's gone up and down over the last number of years, and it's certainly gone up in the last 10 or 15 years or so, the rate is about the same today as it was in 1920 hmm. in the United States. 14 to 15 people per 100,000 die by suicide, and we've declared war on other illnesses like cancer and heart disease and AIDS. These, the death rates for these illnesses have come down, and we've got to get to the point where we're declaring war on mental illness and suicide. Amen. So that these rates can finally start to come down, because God does not want our loved ones living with these terrible illnesses, and God, I'm convinced, is weeps as much as my wife and I wept when oh. our daughter Katie died by suicide. Oh, God sure. wants us to find a way uh, to, to bring healing into this, both spiritual healing and also healing, actual physical healing of these uh, illnesses so that families don't have to suffer this way. Deacon, is there any advice you can offer to our listeners something to look for, whether it's in your own family or you're a teacher and you're with students or in your prayer group or wherever you might be in a closer relationship with certain people, is there some sign or some indication that you might approach them and say, do you need to talk to me or someone? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. And, you know, I wish there was a simple answer to that. And and if there was, you know, we'd all all be thrilled. But what I will say when people ask me that question is, whether you can prevent a suicide or not, that's, you know, so far the people who study the suicide are not very good at predicting. And I've talked to many people, psychologists and psychiatrists who study this. It's hard to predict who's going to die from suicide and who's not. Mm-hmm. You know, even when you enter into deep conversations. But people who are living with these mental illnesses and sui- these ideas of suicide, suicidality, it helps when you talk to them and you get them into um, medical care. And, uh, you know, and one of the things I would say, I guess if I only had a co- one thing to say is, is do not be afraid to ask someone, are you thinking of harming yourself or killing yourself? Mm-hmm. You're not going to put the idea in their head. Okay. Uh, it's already there, and you're not going to, you know, no one's, you know, you're not going to feel feel bad about that. So if there's one thing I would say would be, if you think they're thinking of harming themselves or killing themselves, ask them. 
they will appreciate it that you were sensitive enough and cared mm. for them enough to ask them. And, and I, then if they do say, then, you know, get them to professional help or perhaps even if it's serious, yes. get them to the ER. But, um, but ask them and then work with them to get, get them to the place. There's all sorts of suicide prevention lines around, of course, too, that you can encourage them to call. But, but ask, ask. I would just ask directly. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Deacon Ed Schoner. The name of the book is When a Loved One Dies by Suicide. He and uh, Bishop John uh, P. Dolan had compiled these stories. It is published by Ave Maria Press, by the way. It's AveMariaPress.com. You can check out their website. Deacon, I guess one of the things that uh, those people who are left behind would feel is, I should have seen this coming. I should have done something. I should have done more. I should have recognize it. Is that something that is a, a natural response? Well, of course, yes, sure. It's a natural response. Now, now for us and many people in our situation, Katie had bipolar disorder. She had a, she had attempted suicide previous. You know, it was a fear of something we always were worried they're not going to go. It's going to come someday. Um, so for us, there, you know, you never want it and you never truly expect it on any given day. But, you know, mentally we were we always thought maybe this would happen. But mm-hmm. for some people, it does come right out of the blue. I mean, and especially with, uh, well, even for us, I was going to say, especially for young kids. Um, yeah. You know, Katie's first attempt when she was 19, and we had, you know, she didn't kill, obviously she didn't die from that attempt. But, um, you know, if she did, we would have been totally bewildered. We would have no idea why that had happened. And I sense, you know, God has put many people in my life now who were grieving the suicide, and a number of people that are, children have died right out of the blue like that, because that's quite often when mental illness is the answer is. There's some, something going on with the structure of our brain in man's late teens, early 20s. Uh, and, but it even happens when people are older. You know, they don't see their husband coming with their husband or spout wife or whatever uh, coming. So all I can say is to people is it's not your fault. If, if you could predict or know that someone was going to die by suicide, you, of course, would have done something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's sadly it's just a not a well-understood uh, uh, mental illness is not well-understood. The causes right. of suicide are still not well-understood. And, you know, heaven knows if we knew, and if any of your listeners, you know, when suicide is the country who causes death in the country, so I'm sure many of your listeners have lost someone to suicide, Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it's not your fault, and you, you, certainly God knows that if you could have prevented it, you would have. Uh, but it's just like you can't, you know, if someone gets cancer and dies, or someone gets any other physical illness, it, it, it's just some of these things you have to accept with uh, humility that you, you're not in control of everything. Exactly right. Mental, mental illness and suicide tells you certainly that you know that uh, you are not in control, mm-hmm. and you have to turn it over to God and turn your suffering. Those of us who have lost someone to suicide, we have to turn our suffering over to God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, well, we unite ourselves with Christ on the cross. Amen. That's it. Amen. Yeah. There are eight contributors to the book, and different stories, eight different stories yourself included, Deacon. And I'm sure that in these uh, contributions from these individuals, uh, it does offer all that. It offers to those who have suffered this. Uh, prayers, you know, solace, hope, healing. I mean, there's there's so many different things that people need at that time, and so the book is compiled in a way that I'm sure it does offer that to the to the reader. That, that's our hope, and we also want to reassure people that they're not alone and that they're not some sort of uh, uh, should be discarded by the church. So that's why we have prominent people writing this. You know, Bishop Bowman, uh, Monsignor Pope. Many of your listeners might know who he is. Sure. 
Roman Catholic writer, Leticia um, uh, Adams. We, we've a number of people that we have asked to contribute and willingly contribute to the book so that people understand that it's uh, this happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. It happens to every family, mental illness and is in every family to mm-hmm. one extent or another. Suicide is the tenth leading cause of death in this country, and you know, for young people, it's the second, third leading cause of death. And that's primarily because you know they're not getting cancer and dying from heart right. disease at a young age. So it's the yeah. but even elderly people, you know, the highest. And I always say this, and people are surprised: is is the highest rates of suicide are for middle aged guys, really? middle aged white guys in particular. Really, uh, kill themselves at the highest rates. Uh, and I think, you know, you can speculate as to why that is, but, but it's, it's, a, it's a cause of death across our lifespans. Even people in their 70s and 80s um, um, have, have struggled with this. That is shocking. It's, it's, it is shocking. Yes, it's, but, it's and then, not just a young person's thing, but we, of course, yeah. when, when a young person dies, that's particularly tragic because it's you know, an early stage of their life. Mm-hmm. You hear about it in the news. But certainly by reading the book, again, the people realize we're not alone. This happens across our country, around the world. And um, to try to find some closure, like there's always questions behind that you're not going to be able to answer. So as you say, hand it over to God, kneel with him at the foot of the cross and, in, you know, envelop yourself in his suffering because um, you, you can't just lay awake night after night wondering and having all these questions, you know, you just have to turn it over to God for some sense of peace, I imagine. Right. What we, at the end of every one of each chapter, and there's nine chapters in the book, uh, When a Loved One Dies by Suicide, so people can pray as a novena. And at the end of each chapter, we have a prayer to the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, and Mary. And the one prayer we have at the end of the chapter that was written by a fellow, David Jobes, from Catholic University, he's a psychologist that specializes in suicide. And he talks, he directly answered and discussed this question about could I have known, you know, what the science tells us about suicide. And the prayer we, we uh, close that chapter with is to your point. It's, it's to the Father. It's God our Father. You know all things, and I do not. Mm-hmm. Help me to accept the reality that I may never fully understand why my loved one died by suicide. Yes. Amen. Amen. Oh, amen. So, well, Deacon, we have about a minute left, but I, I know that when your daughter herself committed suicide, that you, your family and friends, founded the Katie Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's something we have here in Northeast Pennsylvania. Uh, many people who lose someone to suicide do what we do, uh, to try to uh, learn from it and benefit the community and bring greater awareness into the community. So here in Northeast Pennsylvania, in Scranton, we've, we've founded the, the Katie Foundation. We have a race every year around Halloween. Katie's birthday was on Halloween, and mm-hmm. those Halloween is always a blow-up party time in our house. So we have a community race. We raise funds for mental illness awareness and, and give it out to local uh, charities here that uh, try to address mental illness. And uh, I'm sure there's, there's races like this in every community. Um, uh, so I encourage people to participate in those races and donate some money or go to the basket raffle or whatever they do. That's what we do here in Scranton. Mm-hmm. Uh, these things exist every place. All right. Well, Deacon, we want to thank you again for being with us and sharing with us your story. Of course, the book, again, friends, is called When a Loved One Dies by Suicide. We've been talking with uh, Deacon Ed Schoner. He and uh, uh, Bishop John Dolan have compiled a number of stories here uh, from very prominent people. And it's published by Ave Maria Press. That's AveMariaPress.com. Again, Deacon, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we appreciate all you do. God bless you. 
Well, thank you for talking about this. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll pray for your family. Thank you. Thank you very much. God bless you. God bless you. God bless. All right, friends, stay where you are. I'll be right back. Don't go away. Father Benedict Groeschel. I want to welcome you, if you're not familiar, with the wonderful world of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think of the great faith of the immigrants from Europe, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, Jewish, the immigrants from Asia, and how they went on with great courage and determination. If you go visit this Ellis Island in New York City, you'll see endless pictures of faces marked by faith and courage and trust in God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what um, what will America Marcel become claims Angela if it makes it impossible for the Holy Spirit to work here because of untruth and self-indulgence and paganism. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. 60 Seconds with Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Our Lord worked many miracles. Here are some of the characteristics about them. First, he worked them as signs to convince men of the fact that he who came to work these miracles was the one that was promised. He never worked a miracle to amaze a multitude. He never worked a miracle to satisfy his hunger or his thirst. He never worked a miracle to obtain a living. He never received money for the things which he accomplished. He refused to convert the stones of the wilderness into bread to satisfy his own hunger or to cause water to gush out of a rock to slake his thirst. Instead, he asked a woman to let down her bucket to give him a drink. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Well, okay, we're back, and uh, just a couple of minutes left, friends, before we have to leave you for today. And uh, again, thanks to all of you for being with us for these two hours. Thanks to our guests. Thanks to uh, Ann Carito, of course, Deacon Ed, uh, Shoner, and uh, Father Jim Grogan. Mike, who won? Mike, the, uh, who's our Name That Tune champion today. Yes, indeed a champion. He named two tunes. And our chief meteorologist, <laughs> Dr. Jim Hopp. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to print up some kind of certificate. Yeah, although I, I, I guess it must be kind. Of, when you do your doctorate, you have to give a do a thesis and all that kind of stuff. Right, a doctoral thesis on anything you want. <laughs> I mean, they have to well, they have to approve it, right? Yeah, yes, and normally it is related to <laughs> you what tell your major. My in. higher education <laughs> level is. <laughs> yeah, you just I got, can't. I got my BA. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever consider going for your doctorate? I did. I actually took one class towards my doctorate. Doctor class? <laughs> How to be a doctor. <laughs> How to be a doctor. <laughs> it was. Oh, bro- yeah, we talked about that. You, yes, you I think said, we said this is going to be too hard. Yeah. Well, no, I, I didn't say that, but I mean, you're looking at years and, and of the cost. And mm. at that point, I needed to work. That's why and it's then, easy just for me to give you one. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So at this point, a lot I think, easier. You need we, to we start s- handing out honorary doctors from domestic <laughs> church media, it'd be a lot easier for people. All I want is that, you know, you walk into somebody's office, a lawyer or a doctor, and they've got all the uh, framed certificates yes. from but see, Johns Hopkins There is discussion about that, how, you know, I, I don't want to get political, but 
the, the first lady, the new first lady, Dr. Jill Biden, they were saying how most people who have a doctorate in education, like she does, mm. don't call themselves doctor. I know one other person who does. Oh, yeah. yeah. But they were saying the norm is. If you're a doctor, you right away think medical doctor. Exactly. You know. The eyes, whatever. Right. Yeah. You're, you're a medical doctor. But mm -hmm. to say doctor so-and-so, oh, oh, what kind of practice do you have? Well, I'm a doctor. I have my doctorate in education. Most well, that doesn't count. <laughs> what? But though, no, think back to college. Your professors, a lot of them were doctors. True, Doctor Malone. I had Doctor Malone. No, Doctor McLone. Doctor McLone. He mm. was a, an acting teacher. Oh, see, now that really—that's he had to buy that online. <laughs> yeah, I think he did. In acting, I think he's still up at Seton Hall. Believe it or not, I, I think he's still up there. He deserves a doctor for still being alive right? and trying being to teach, up there, especially at the university level. <laughs> uh -huh. I believe he's still there. Dr. I had McClellan. many doctors, and, and this was in the music—you know, doctor of history or hmm. musical performance. Yeah. You know, they get a doctorate. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're going to head on out of here. I guess it's going to be a rainy, soggy weekend, so stay dry. I'm going to leave my car outside so it gets washed. Yeah, all that salt. Oh. Uh, I'll be back with you guys. Well, oh, Monday, Bruce will be here at 3 o'clock for Come to the Throne, so be sure you come back for that. And I'll be here on Tuesday, God willing, for company. We'll be back next Friday, the first Friday in March already. So time's flying. Continue your Lenten activity or sacrifice or quiet. Have a great weekend. God Bye bless now. you.